0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of Sigma Delta Talk. I'm Margot Manley-Lima, National President of Sigma Delta Talk. A warm welcome to our first-time listeners. If you've joined us before, welcome back. Today's episode features Jewish Women International CEO Meredith Jacobs. Meredith and I will discuss Netflix's miniseries, Made. Made is a story about a young mother who escapes an abusive relationship and struggles to create a new life for her and her daughter. Who better to help us understand the cycles of abuse than SDT's philanthropic partner, JWI, whose mission is to end violence against women and girls and equip them with the skills necessary to thrive in our world. Meredith, I'm so happy you've joined us for this episode to unpack Netflix miniseries, Made.
1: Margot, I am so honored to be here. I thought it was such um an important series there's so many even members of our staff I have to tell you members of our staff who like work more in the women's leadership realm and are kind of new to this space watched it and said oh my gosh now we know why jwi does what it does it was like this this series did so much to raise awareness um I thought beautifully acted
0: yes and i agree when i watched it obviously it's it's a gut-wrenching story so the story itself speaks volumes but in the back of my mind jwi was so present because so much what i've what i've learned about domestic violence and abuse has been through the work of jwi's advocacy educational programming and your philanthropic efforts Um, Which is why, you know, when I reached out to you, I was like, you have to help me unpack all of these things because um, there's a lot to discuss, but also there's such a great call to action here um, for our listeners, our members. Um, because we, I don't know about you, but when I watched this, I felt somewhat helpless, but then at the same time, I'm like, no, I know how I could support women and children who find themselves in this thing, because that is exactly what you all do. Um, so it was, it, it was great that, you know, you can join today and that we could talk about all the ways that we can make a difference.
1: I love it. Let's get started. There's so much to unpack.
0: All right, let's go. Let's go. Okay. So I found it so interesting that the abuse that they depicted, um, between Alex and Sean was not physical, or at least was not like the majority physical. Um, her boyfriend was verbally abusive. He tried to control her with money. He tried to limit her social interactions and even her ability to leave their house. Um, and it's interesting because Alex's mother makes a comment like, it's not as if he hits you. Um, why do you think, uh, the writers did that. Now, I should also say, I'm not sure if you know, but this is based on a true story. Um, And the woman, um, Stephanie Lanz, she, this is a true story. Much of it is uh, depicted in in a factual way. And she herself, you know, left an abusive relationship with her child. She did move to Montana, she started a writing career. And, you know, she wrote this book. But as she reflects, um, I read an article about her and she says, she didn't realize all of the ways that her partner was abusive to her until she was able to reflect on her experience and in preparation for this book. Um, yeah, I thought so- the same thing. Yeah, I, I it one, on the one hand, I was like, I'm
1: so glad they're showing, because I think that is a common misper. I, I think the choice was not um, a choice by the writers. I think it was because this was her life and they say true. That said, I think it was so vitally important that we saw um, abuse that wasn't physical. To really, that, and I think they did a good job depicting depicting the the terror. I I I remember those scenes. Remember when when she goes back and she's like almost hiding in her daughter's bedroom, like, and you see him come home at night and and the shadows pass under the door that you just, like you're holding your breath with her because it's so terrifying um, and and to see what she did. And yes, about the financial abuse, even taking the car away to prevent her from, from going to a job um, was because we talk about that at JWI, how abusers will um, disrupt the workplace. You know, not even, not only, not giving women access to money so she can take a bus or drive a car or somehow get to work. But even if she is at work, calling the workplace, coming to the workplace, doing things to disrupt the work so that she ends up losing that job and that ability to to leave. Um, And that's that's why we teach financial education. That's why I mean, we don't we don't tell the young women. We're not like, oh, just in case you're in an abusive situation. You know, we come at it from a source of power. Um, but that's what it's about. How do we have the power so that we have options? And one of that is to control our money and have access to our money.
0: Absolutely. Do you think it's common for women or people for that matter, um, to be in abusive relationships and not know that, that they are in abusive relationships?
1: Yeah, we also, that's the other thing that we talk to the collegiates about, um, is, I'm sure there are listeners who have had friends who've been in relationships that they think that's not healthy, that's not safe. There's a really powerful. There's the One Love Foundation that was founded. It was an incident here in 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 DC mm-hmm. um, years ago. There was a a, a young woman who was um, a lacrosse player at UVA who was killed by her boyfriend. Um, who was also a lacrosse player. And they did a video showing all the times that friends or family kind of was like, that doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem okay. Like what were all those red flags that then led to, unfortunately in her situation, being murdered. Um, but I'm, I'm sure there, and that's why we, we talk about what's healthy, what isn't, so that we, we recognize those signs internally or that so we can maybe help a friend or loved one who's in that dangerous situation.
0: Exactly. And one of the things I, I know from our State Say Smart Dating program is that abuse is a pattern, right? It's not necessarily an isolated incident, but a pattern of behavior, um, you know, about power and control. And certainly we see in the beginning of this series, we know something has happened that warrants her wanting to leave and taking her child we see a messy house something's been disruptive it looks like violence has occurred but we don't really understand exactly what has transpired and then it becomes clear when she goes back to him and he uses all these tactics to control her um that we now we can put our finger on what it was her life was like because they don't start off you know showing his abusive nature right that that comes later in the show so I don't, I found myself saying, oh, well, was this a one-time incident? You know, like did this just get out of, you know, but then later we see, no, no, it is a pattern. It is his pattern um, of interacting with her. And and it is. And even,
1: even the little things, well, I'm trying to remember, but weren't there scenes where he criticized her cooking or her, you know, with the, with the, the baby was in pajamas all day and, and he was demeaning and insulting. And there, those, there's that spectrum of abuse with where it goes from, from to- unhealthy to toxic, to abusive, to violent, to, to lethal. Um, and, and how do we, we track those things. Um, but if you saw throughout the way, and, and of course, that was compounded then by his drinking. Yes. Um, you know, not that that was it. And that's, that's one of the things that I just, I heard a statistic, um, this week, we were actually on a call, the, the Violence Against Women Act is, um, is, we're asking the Senate to reauthorize it, and not only reauthorize it, but to enhance the protections that are there. Um, and, and one of the speakers shared that during COVID, violence against women is up 25%. Wow. And we know that some of those stressors are the, the financial stress, the um, the increased drinking, you know, all of those things will, will ramp up the abuse.
0: How much do you think either alcoholism or drug abuse plays a factor in domestic violence or abusive relationships?
1: Well, I don't think it's the only thing. Like I think if someone, and we saw that even before he was really drinking, he was abusive. So I don't want it to be like, oh, well, if he stops drinking, he would be fine. Cause we also saw that play out in the series. Um, but like anything, if it's, if it's a drug, that's going to cause you to lose inhibitions or whatever would maybe hold you back or would cause you to feel even greater anger. I think it just, it heightens what's happening.
0: Right. Well, and it's, I found the, her father's role so interesting, right? Because, um, he's absent, you know, in the beginning. And then we see memories, child, her childhood memories of him abusing the mom and obviously her being scared and having to live through that. Um, and he himself, you know, was drinking. Um, but then when he resurfaces, he is now sober. It's appears that he has a healthy relationship. And then, you know, in my mind, I was like, oh, he's a changed man. Um, which I do believe, you know, people can evolve and people can change. Um, But for whatever reason, she was very um, distant with him and she didn't want to engage with him. And I was unclear why that was until, I don't know if you remember the scene where he comes over and he's trying, the dad's trying to help Sean get sober, right? He's trying to take him to meetings, be a better person, um, live a healthier life. Um, But that scene where he comes over and he brings dinner and Sean, the partner, wants Alex to sit down for dinner and she doesn't want to sit down. And then he is extremely forceful and coerces her to sit down. And and the dad just sits there and doesn't say one word. And I just thought to myself, okay, maybe she's right. (laughs) Because it's one thing to- wait. It
1: got worse.
0: Do you remember
1: where she was fighting for custody of her daughter and she needed one person to say, to show proof that there was abuse? And she went to her father and said you saw it you saw what he was doing and the father was like it was nothing what are you talking about i saw a couple disagreeing and he wouldn't help her and that's they were there were two things that showed and then when she started because she didn't remember that her father had been abusive she had always bought in and i thought it was so well done this story that the mother was crazy, that it was the mother's fault. And I think so often um, that can happen to the victims that it's flipped. And it's like that the abuser, the perpetrator is the good guy. And, oh, she was crazy and how and how abusive that is to say to a woman. And then when he said when she said to him, when Alex said to her father, they're there used to be cabinets here. Cause she kind of had that yes. memory of hiding in the cabinets. He's like, no, there wasn't, you know? So there was, there were signs that he was not a good guy, you right. know? Um, or at
0: least he was in denial and not taking accountability, right. For some of the things he either did as a parent and as a spouse or, and, or as a father, right. Think- um, I think that maybe Alex, if he would have said I was wrong when I was married to your mother or um, I was wrong not to defend you or, you know, like any sort of like accountability for his actions or lack of actions in some instances, perhaps she would have been willing.
1: And maybe should he have said to her, listen, I recognize the signs of what I did myself. I don't want my daughter in that kind of relationship. Let me protect you from that instead of saying Instead of like siding with, you know, her abuser. It, it was just so, I thought it was so interesting. I, I, and, and and the mother's story and how that played into that cycle. Although I, it's, you know, Alex did when he, she first met and I'm blanking on it, what is the name of the- Sean. Sean, when she met Sean, it seemed like happy and wonderful and loving. It was interesting that when she got pregnant and he didn't want- the the child and and kind of what that storyline says about also about choice at least she had the choice but you see how she lost the ability to go she was on track to go to college she was on track to have to have an out um but you know it showed it slowly dissolving into a into a dangerous relationship um but i just oh my heart broke for her at one point i don't know about you My husband and I were watching this series and I was like, I don't know if I can watch this anymore. This is just like too hard. And I was glad I went back. Like I had to take a break from it and then (laughs) go back to it. But I was like, I I can't. Oh my gosh. So, but I like, I like that they showed the women going back to their like it really felt like it was a very honest portrayal of what happens in in the shelters. You know, I thought when there were the scenes in the in the shelter. I thought of our libraries. Oh my um, goodness,
0: me too, me too. Yeah. With the pony. Well, first I thought when Alex goes there and her friend brings her a bag of ponies so that her daughter could play with it. Um, you know, and then they you talk about reading and when she went to the shop to pick up clothes, to go shopping, right? Like all of those experiences. It made me think about what you all do with the libraries, right? And how when children go to the shelters that they absolutely need an escape. And what a more, I can't think of a better way or more profound way for a child to escape than through reading. Um, And, you know, the impact that the libraries that JWI does for women's shelters, um, that is such an invaluable way to support children and women through these transitions because they absolutely need it. And I think that the show highlighted how much they need those experiences. Because you saw, and that's always
1: been, you know what I've heard when you escape, when you have that moment to escape. And I remember she was clutching that—what was it? Her fake Ariel, or whatever the Schmearial—I think they called it. Like that was—that was all. She, and it was only because she was sleeping with it that she was able to have that. And—and and I thought the way—and—and I, and I know these exist in shelters. Those little stores that gave the women the dignity to—to to shop. You know, to have that experience of selecting and not be like, here's some old clothes someone gave, but to feel like they were had that, that ability to select those things for themselves and their children. Um, but yeah, I thought about our life. And I love that with our libraries, we say, when you're able to leave, let the children pick and bring with them their favorite book, take it with them. And that's why we, we want, and that's something that um, what the, cha- the SDT chapters do for us um, and and the money that they raise allows us to restock the shelves, so that there are always fresh, brand new books, we don't take donations of gently used or old books, these are brand new books um, that are specially selected for the shelters and that the, you know, our hope is that the shells empty, as the children leave and then get filled back up again so.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I know I know our members like to do tangible things to support our philanthropic causes, right? So, you know, perhaps in an ideal word, they would love to um, associate or or support directly with the women and the children. But as we saw, you know, that the women couldn't even use their phone in the shelters. They would have to leave because and that had never occurred to me as like a strategy to protect women, right? And I know that obviously we need to keep, the women and children in there anonymous and that is that is purposeful right um but it was really clear why uh in, in the mini series but nonetheless it demonstrated that the fact that we collect books that we collect money to restock the shell the the shells for the libraries like that is leaving a lasting impression and it was such a great portrayal of the difference that it can make
1: there's so cuz we'll have that where people say can we volunteer can we go when we when we do a um, a library opening we can't even take pictures if there's a window in the room where you can see outside anything that would let the abuser identify where that building could be they're so protected and so safe um so i love when when our when our women want to do something more tangible, Um, you know, and sometimes we are trying to figure out ways, some of the libraries, we're opening um, a library this spring at, at my sister's place in DC. And we're actually launching a new women's impact network for all the women who see our young women's impact network and say, I want that, but I'm, you know, 40, (laughs) um, how do we get involved? And we're going to kind of adopt that space and do in the, you know, in, in August, pack backpacks and drop it off. We're going to find ways to do things. So every once in a while, there's a library that will allow some, some partnerships like that.
0: Well, I hope you keep me posted because I would love to participate in that project. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um. Let's talk about Alex's mom. I feel like that was a really, uh, she was a very interesting character. Um, she obviously suffered from some mental illness um, and and perhaps promoted some cycles of abuse or at least allowed some cycles to exist. What were your observations about her mother and the dynamic between the two and, and maybe how some things contributed to Alex's situation?
1: It was so interesting, especially in some of the last episodes and not to give a spoiler, but where they saw really looking back how the mother protected Alex in the same way she protected her daughter. Um, I think she was, as you said, I think she did suffer from mental illness. I think at some point they said she was bipolar, um, which is hard. I I would be interested to know what the grandmother was like. Where did the mother get it? Um, Because it wasn't just the husband, but the next boyfriend, you know, there was that cycle of, um, you know, of, of and I, I don't want this to sound like victim blaming at all, but where be, maybe because of her mental illness, she was more likely to be a target for mm-hmm. abusive men. Um, but I loved how Alex did break that cycle. And I felt like so much of what she did was motivated by her daughter and making sure that her daughter didn't gr- And I think that's why she kept as much as her father seemed to be a good grandfather and want to, you know, and it was that like, well, why doesn't she just leave? Why doesn't she just go to her dad's house? Why doesn't she just let her dad help with the baby? I think she was, I think she wanted to do everything she could to break that cycle so that her daughter didn't also end up with someone who was abusive. So um yeah, I, I loved her. Um, I, th- I think I loved how she tried to protect her mom. And I loved learning that her mom did protect her. Um, but I think her mom was limited because of some of her challenges.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, what was also interesting was, um, and I don't know if this is part of Stephanie's story, but they wove it into the miniseries about how there was a, a woman, Danielle, the one who gave the ponies to Alex, um, how she obviously left her abusive partner. Um, and then they show how she went back to him um, yeah. and that how she ran into her on the street and she wanted nothing to do with it. And Denise, who's the woman who's in charge of the shelter, explains to Alex that it takes seven, to, on average, seven times for somebody to leave their abusive partner before it actually sticks. Is is that statistic? That's true. That's true. I thought that that, whether it was part of
1: her story or not, was important to show because I don't think that Danielle wanted nothing to do with Alex. I think she was terrified Mm. of her boyfriend, knowing that Alex was someone she knew from the shelter, was someone who might help Danielle um, return to the shelter and leave him. I think, she, and I think she was also embarrassed that she had gone back. So I think that was a compl- To me, that was a mix of fear of her abuser and um and, and 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 shame that she had gone back. So I think that was really important. I also thought it was interesting the way they showed Alex going back. I also thought it was important to show the stories of all the women. Mm -hmm. who ended up helping her the woman whose home she cleaned who you know was going through her own um, troubles who ended up helping her the even the women who let her stay at her home until again the husband came and you know destroyed the home at her daughter's birthday party um who tried to shelter her so it it was nice seeing the people who who helped
0: Well, you know, I read an article um, that offered one critique of the miniseries, and that was that they thought that all the women demonstrated some sort of flaws um, in their mothering, except for Alex, that they, Alex was... What, they, what one would call a nearly perfect mother that her her love and her commitment and her patience never wavered with her child. And so the writer of this article was saying, like, that's lovely to portray, but a woman who is experiencing all these stressors, all these emotional experiences um, is a young mother, comes from a cycle of abuse. Like, is that really an authentic parenting style that we would see from somebody with those set of conditions? And, and does it give like a false perspective of of what that could be. And so I thought that was a really interesting critique. Um, and I, I did see her as a, a, a tremendous mother who would go to great length for her daughter who was um, keenly aware of what was healthy and not healthy um, and didn't miss a beat. but is that like real? right was know? like was like taking in, in the midst of like
1: everything going on and that fear when she returned to Sean's um, trailer and was so, was living in such fear, but was still like going out into the woods and looking for little fairies and everything with her daughter. I, I think, I mean, I think number one, that's because clearly, um, the author had a, had a role in, in the story. Um, I think, you know, maybe they wanted to show that she was doing everything. I'm sure there were moments where she was exhausted and scared and angry and, that would come out, but I maybe that would have complicated the storyline. Maybe someone would have said, "See, she's also bad." So maybe right. they, you know, that was a choice. Um, and um, but I do wonder how other women were maybe watching. I wonder how many people watched it and saw their own stories playing out and thinking, "Wait a second, maybe maybe I'm in a dangerous situation. Maybe my relationship isn't healthy. Maybe." Um, maybe I should leave, but then also maybe feeling like, well, why aren't I as good a mother as she is when she's everything, she's with schlepping the the vacuum on the ferry to the house to clean. I mean, my goodness, what she went through. But um, yeah, I think it's complicated. I think what I found unrealistic, but I thought was wonderful was at the end that Sean recognized what he was doing Mm -hmm. and gave up his custody battle and allowed her to go. I, I was surprised that that happened. Um, You know, when he recognized that he was going to be violent toward his daughter um, was when he suddenly had that awareness of what he was doing. So I was glad that that happened because that let her leave. But, you know, I, I wonder how often that actually happens that the You know, what I hear more is that there's litigation abuse, where it goes on for 10 years. We're talking about this at JWI. It was one of the the gaps we found in our needs assessment that we did is that, you know, shelters don't have enough money to have the legal staff to support all the women. The women end up going to court representing themselves. The abuser knows how to push those buttons to set them off so that the judge might have more sympathy with the abuser. Um, Any pro bono attorneys may not fully understand, be like fully trauma informed, um, and may not be willing to like spend 10 years dedicated to helping and how many women lose custody of their children or lose financial support or can't support themselves. There was was also something, again at this, this rally for the violence against women, there was something they said women of color their skin doesn't show the bruising the way it would on a white woman and how many times they have trouble showing giving proof of their abuse because the police don't have the correct lighting that brings up the bruising um on on darker skin so just uh, uh, you know unbelievable what it just it puts me in awe of women who've survived and who've come out the other side and have built new lives for themselves and their children. I mean, really, the strength it must take.
0: Absolutely. I know that February is uh, Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month. What are some things um, our listeners should know about teen violence, either from themselves, their friends, their daughters? What should we be aware of? That's one in three teens experiences
1: dating abuse. Um, we should be aware of the signs for the teens in our lives. Um, we should know that if a teen is suddenly dressing differently, is suddenly um, not hanging out with her friends, um, only spending time with her, her dating partner, um, being fearful of having to check in on the phone. Um, being away, not being responsive, any changes in behaviors, um, these are red flags. I think the best thing we can do as parents is create homes where we're talking about relationships, where we're normalizing so that it's an environment where our teens can come to us if they're concerned about something, where they're open. If we're worried, we can go to them, but let's, let's talk about healthy relationships. So JWI will be doing a big campaign. We're reaching out to STT to help us um, with the campaign to to raise awareness of teen dating abuse. Um, We also have a wonderful program called Tools for Talking to Teens, um, where parents can go on and learn more um, what to do, how to talk to their teens, how to understand signs. Um, And we also have coming out in April, our clergy task force has actually created conversation cards that are wonderful. In this case, it's going to take like four different Jewish holidays. The first box is around Shabbat, but honestly, anyone can use them Um, and it'll be a, you know, a, a prayer or a text from the Friday night and Shabbat service, and then it'll use it as a prompt for Mm. questions about conversations around relationships and how wonderful to like sit around our table and just with our families or our friends say, you know, how do you feel valued? How do you show value? How do you, you know, it comes from a very positive place. um, But how do we start talking about healthy relationships in our, in our
0: homes? Yeah, I think that's excellent. You know, as a parent of two daughters myself, I don't know if it would be on my radar that this, unhealthy behavior could occur as early as teenage years, right? This seems to me like, or I once thought it was down the road later issue that perhaps could materialize. Um, But I think you're right. I think we have to be aware about um, the relationships our children engage in, whether that's like friendships, romantic, sexual, what have you, Um, and then be aware of warning signs or changes in behavior that perhaps seem uncharacteristic. And, you know, um, I think, go ahead.
1: Yeah. I'm so glad you, you talked about friendships because I think that's so important with our children when they're young. It's, it's relationships start with friendships. And I remember always saying to my daughter, only hang out with people who make you feel good about yourself. If you're with someone who makes you feel badly about yourself, that's not a good person. That's, that's not a friend. Don't, don't, don't spend your time with those people. Um, you know, and how does that build a child's awareness of what's what's toxic and what's what's healthy to talk about? This is what it means to be a friend. A friend supports you. A friend, you know, loves you and is there for you. A friend doesn't hurt you and make you feel badly, emotionally, physically, whatever. That's not a friend. And then I think that then evolves into like you know, what is a loving relationship like when it becomes a romantic? Who do you look for in a partner? And I think how we also model that in our Absolutely. homes. Um, you know, how do we resolve? We're not always gonna, you know, sometimes we're gonna fight with our partners, but how do we resolve that in a way that is supportive and loving and healthy? And, you know, how do, how do we show, just like Alex learned by example in the bad way, how do, how do we help our children learn in a, in a good way?
0: Absolutely. So for our listeners who want to support um, an end to violence against girls and women, how can they get involved in JWI's efforts?
1: You can go to um, jwi.org. Reach out to me directly, reach out to, um, if you're a collegiate, to your chapter, um, to your advisor. If you're in DC or can get to DC, come to our leadership conference and women to watch in March, get on our email list, start learning. We have webinars. We have our new national center on domestic violence in the Jewish community. We're doing an amazing amount of work, but go to our website, jwi.org, sign up to get emails. and donate, donate to support our work. If it's the library, you can mention that you're an SDT sister. Um, we'll make sure SDT knows of your support. And we're so grateful for everything our sisters do. Not only the money you raise for our work, but um, Safe Smart Dating with the life savings, financial literacy, just how much we're doing um, to raise awareness of our of our young our our collegiates, and how important that is for the lives they'll lead.
0: Absolutely. And I'm so grateful for our partnership. It has absolutely enriched our collegiates' experience while they're in college. Uh, Hopefully it informs, you know, um, not only healthy relationships, but a greater commitment to remain engaged and to advocate for these important issues um, during, you know, the span of their life, because, you know, these are women's issues, and um, they are very important. And I think, uh, we all welcome an opportunity to engage in this important work and we have incredible partners in you all. Um, and so I'm just so thankful for our relationship and our partnership with JWI. Right back at you.
1: STT <laughs> <laughs> is, is the best.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, of course I agree. <laughs> Meredith, thank you so much for joining me for this episode. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Margo Manley-Lima, and you've been listening to Sigma Delta Talk.